Hawkeyes and Buckeyes get together for the first time since 2017. We all remember how that one landed. Hawkeye fans, there's always hope. Remember the double nickels. We will talk Ohio State, Iowa, and all things, of course, Hawkeyes over the next 60 minutes here at uh, Iowa Live. Number 64 right here at the Voice of College Football. Welcome in Corey Brad, of course, the guy that makes this all happen. Check out his work at From the Hawkeye of the Storm. Corey, coming off a of bye week, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, looking forward to this game off a of bye. Uh, and, and if you talk about schedule makeup, uh, we remember when the schedule was revised. Because remember, Iowa was supposed to play Michigan and Ohio State back-to-back. The schedule gets revised. And remember at the time saying, boy, it helps having a bye week before the Ohio State game. But if I recall, that was prior to Iowa's loss to Wisconsin last year. And in the manner in which they lost last year coming off a bye to Wisconsin, it kind of deflates your hopes of a bye week really making a difference this year against a much better team uh, than the 2020 or 21, 21 version of uh, Wisconsin. So uh, the other thing is Ohio State got a bye week as well. So both these teams are ready to go. I don't really know if you're Ohio State. The only thing you probably benefit from a bye week in this game is is figuring out ways to create big plays against an Iowa defense that's been really good at limiting big plays this year, which was a struggle at times last year. Iowa took a step back in limiting big plays in 2021, but they've done well in that category in 2022. Expect shots to Riley Moss, Mark, um, because uh, it doesn't sound like Terry Roberts is going to play, so they they don't have a ton of depth. You're going to be getting uh, basically DeGene and Moss the entire game, and if one of those guys struggles, Iowa doesn't really have anybody to turn to at cornerback. They are thin back there now with Harris and Roberts out. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a, an interesting game. I, I feel as a fan, I'll just approach it as a fan for a second, Mark. I, I'm lo- looking forward to watching the game. I know some Iowa fans are like dreading the game because they assume that, you know, it's going to be a ugly game and, and it very well could be, but I, I'm just looking forward to the game. I enjoy watching Iowa football. I know it's, you know, once you get into the game and you're watching it, it can be painful, <laughs> but uh, you know, being able to see him in the shoe, which I think is a great, college football venue uh once again it's part of big noon kickoff i see all those things as a positive i know some people again treat those things as negative things but uh, i'm looking forward to the game on saturday we remind everyone out there that our hawkeyes live show on tuesday is brought to you by gene arthur associates uh catch the fine folks there at gene arthur associates the uh, link is in the description section of all the videos here at uh, the voice of college football iowa grab the link get an instant quote and also completely separate from that, folks, we have a Iowa-Nebraska ticket giveaway. No purchase required. Don't have to get a quote. And what you do is you go to Gene Arthur Associates on Facebook and on Instagram. And I will be dropping those links in the live chat. But go to Facebook and Instagram. Go to Gene Arthur Associates. Follow, like, share, and uh, you will be automatically entered into our ticket giveaway. Two tickets to the finale, Nebraska and Iowa. Yeah, you know, we talked about it during the offseason, highlighted, of course, Iowa's biggest uh, opponents. And, and Ohio State obviously presents the arguably the best offense in college football. And Iowa presents an elite defense. And that's what I want to see. You know, even if this turns into a you know, 24 to seven final. Uh, I want, I want to see the best of the best go at it um, with both of these units going head to head. 
And then if Iowa can somehow figure out, see, I'm not going to resign myself to the fact that, or not the fact, but the, the thought process that this is automatically just going to be a blowout. And Corey and I were discussing the point spread when we started and it's hovering anywhere between 27 and 29. I've looked up three different sites, 27 to 29 points, which just seems crazy because it's difficult to score those kind of points against Iowa's defense, let alone then cover the, that kind of point spread. Um, but that aside, and what could turn out to be an ugly game, I just think that um, we're still dealing with a program, a culture that is just full of pride, full of heart, uh, will be laser-focused, knows what the challenge is this week, and will give it their best, um, not just from an effort standpoint, but from a preparation standpoint. I, I feel like I'm stating that with a little bit more faith in the players themselves than actually the coaching staff, unfortunately, but that the preparation, the laser focus mentality and the um, attention to detail. And then of course the effort on Saturday will be there for a, for a team and a program that's extremely proud and will not just roll over and be whipped by four touchdowns. And if it is, then it's, it's going to have to, you know, be a, uh, quite the effort by Ohio State to do that. I, I said preseason, and I alluded to it on my preview, which I released yesterday on my channel, and everybody's, of course, welcome to go check that out, even if you're a Buckeye fan from the Hawkeye of the Storm on YouTube. But and I laid down some interesting stat comparisons, Mark. I know some of these you're aware of, but you ought to go over and watch that video as well. Um, I, I find it quite interesting. When we were talking about this game in the summertime, um, I think you and I both agreed that uh, – the 2017, I think you agreed with me on this. The 2017 game was likely going to be brought up by Ryan Day leading up to this game. Um, now, I, I, I don't know if circumstances have changed, just given the fact that I was not what we thought it, not what we thought it would be. Uh, I shouldn't say that sounds like I'm acting like Iowa's offense is going to be something great. We didn't expect the Iowa offense to be this bad. So I, I don't know if that changes how Ryan Day approaches this game, but is there any purpose now, Mark, to bringing up the 2017 game as a motivation for Ohio State? Do you really need that? I mean, I probably I probably would as a coach just to gain any edge you can, right? That's what good head coaches do, but I, I, nobody's going to say it matters at this point. I do believe I'm on the record as saying this about the Iowa offense and my projection toward 2022, that if you look at the losses of Charlie Jones, Tyrone Tracy, and uh, Tyler Linderbaum as the best center in the country, uh, a tremendous playmaker in Charlie Jones, a better playmaker than I certainly <laughs> knew that he was because now he's getting those opportunities. And then Tracy as well, that on paper, that Iowa had actually worse personnel, but I just didn't think it was feasible to have a worse offense so my right. mathematical calculation of it was, how can you be worse? And they should be better than 123, so therefore right. they should improve. But I, I did look at those personal losses, and I, had, I I mentioned here a few times that they look to be worse from a personnel standpoint. And Mark, they added nothing in the transfer portal. Let's remember that. So you lose Linderbaum at center, you lose Charlie Jones, you lose Tyrone Tracy. They added absolutely nothing in the transfer portal. So you're right. I mean, you expect some development to happen. But again, reputation precedes 
a college football team and Iowa typically doesn't develop quarterbacks. They don't develop wide receivers very well. And they, they uh, have not been developing uh, offensive line play as a whole over the last at least three years. Uh, Really, you could say four years if you're counting this year back to 2019. So yeah, I think both of you and I were both in agreement that um, we just didn't see how it was possible given the numbers. I mean, it's hard to be worse than 123 out of 130 teams, but they found a way to do that. Um, so going back to the Ohio State game, I, 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 uh, I some of the stats, and again, I'll, I'm not going to spoil all of them because I mentioned some of them on my preview yesterday, but, you know, Spencer Petras has, I believe, two touchdowns, two passing touchdowns on the season. CJ Stroud has 24. <laughs> just, I mean, stuff like that is like, as I was going through these stats yesterday, I mean, I don't, I don't take joy in these things. Believe me, I wish it wasn't the case, but now I'm looking at these stats and the startling numbers. I mean, here's another one. I think I was, um, again, if I'm cr- remembering this correctly. I was played three big 10 games. They've compiled just over like 750, somewhere in there, total yards in those three games combined. Ohio State had like 650 against Michigan State last week alone. Um, so just, you know, again, going through those stats. So I encourage anybody to, to watch that video because uh, the numbers are mind boggling. Um, and I, I'm here's what I'm surprised about, Mark, because I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched this in Ohio State football this year. And part of it is they haven't really played a real tough schedule up until this point. I mean, that's the one thing Iowa does have maybe in its favor is they probably have played a tougher schedule. I think Michigan is a better team than Notre Dame right now. And uh, who else is Ohio state played that, you know, you would give them a notch in their favor. So I was probably play a tougher schedule. I just haven't watched and I don't have any interest in watching a bunch of blowouts, <laughs> but I'll say this, that uh, I mean, if you're looking at Ohio state top to bottom, they are a lot better defensively than I thought they would be heading into the year. And I know they made changes last season from a coaching and philosophy standpoint, the numbers tell you that they're one of the best defenses in the country. Maybe one of the 10 best defenses in the country. Uh, I believe they lead Iowa right now in, in total defense, not by much, but they do now again, maybe on a weaker schedule, Iowa's better in uh, uh, scoring defense. So there's that. But my point is like, if, if people expected this to be the Ohio state team of last year of Iowa fans who aren't watching the Buckeyes this year expect this to be the same defense that lost to Oregon last year. It's just not Mark. You, you're an Ohio state guy. You, you, you recognize that. So if, if Ohio state can almost break even on that side of the ball or defensively, I should say, then boy, now you're just talking about Iowa's offense going up against Ohio state's offense. And that's a scary, scary proposition. Uh, Notre Dame has taken a step back on offense, but when they still had their starting quarterback before he got hurt, they broke the first play of the game for about 70 yards and then um, and, and scored. They, they scored one touchdown against Ohio State, and they were manhandled in the second half for like 30 yards of total offense. Uh, Wisconsin, Braylon Allen, the, the final numbers will look respectable. He didn't start to break any runs until that game was five, six touchdowns away. Uh, they shut him down. Um, the Toledo offense on the Mac level uh, actually made some plays on Ohio State. They scored 21 points, but I guess when you give up 11 touchdowns and you know, Ohio State scores 77, then uh, that's you, you, you can only take so much of that into account as being meaningful uh, scores as well. Michigan State, regardless of their issues, Peyton Thorne's a really good quarterback, and they've got two 
guys on the outside and Jaden Reed, who just caught the game winning touchdown pass against uh, Wisconsin in double overtime and uh, Keon Coleman, they couldn't do much of anything against Ohio state uh, two weeks ago. So this will, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, while Ohio state is playing by far the best defense it's faced on its schedule, uh, Notre Dame's a capable defense. We thought Wisconsin was, they're not um, nearly their standard. Uh, on the flip side, Ohio State's played, uh, is going to be like playing just what everyone else is playing, the worst offense that they're going to face this year. Yeah, from the Ohio State side, in terms of a bye week, this is what I will say about, um, you know, you talked about trying to scheme and figure out ways to, to hit Iowa for big plays. Uh, I'll make a statement, then I'll ask you a question about Iowa's approach with Phil Parker would be Ohio State's just needing to get healthy. Um, I have yet to post a video, but I put together some notes to, to post a um, game preview as well. And Ohio State's just nicked up. Uh, Travion Henderson, one of the best backs in the country, had to leave the Michigan State game after gaining 120 yards. Mayan Williams has had a tremendous season. He scored five touchdowns the previous week. Um, he Smith and Jigba hasn't played game. Yeah, so they they've they've done all this. Yes, without arguably the best wide receiver in the country, who's missed the entire season. He caught two passes for three yards on the opening drive of the game and has missed the entire season. Uh, but he is due back at some point. I think it's more a determination on, do we really need him? We want him to be right, want him to be healthy. So let's bring him back at that point. Um, so Ohio State's a little bit nicked up uh, offensively, but um, two more stats before I ask my Phil Parker question would be, you know, the one I brought to the table last week was I, I it hit me. I want to add up offensive touchdowns for these two teams, and it's 41 to 7 with Ohio State getting nine out of Marvin Harrison Jr., nine for a single player, not even a running back, uh, a wide receiver, and, of course, oh, uh, Iowa with seven. And courtesy our buddy Tony Gerdeman, who joins us on the Ohio State show every Wednesday, Ohio State has outscored Iowa in individual quarters. It has outscored in each quarter Iowa's complete total for the season. Say that again. Can you say that one more Ohio time? Ohio State's first quarter scoring is more than Iowa's for the season. Ohio State's second quarter scoring is more than Iowa's for the season, et cetera. Each quarter, Ohio State has outscored Iowa. Is that possible? I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> Are you serious right now? <laughs> That's what he tells me. I didn't go back and check. <laughs> okay. Oh, Tony. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, that's a that's an incredible incredible stat i just there's a lot of incredible numbers associated with this game on saturday mark so what will you say if iowa finds a way to win like not even to cover what, what will you say if they go into columbus and win this game on saturday well i mean it's likely will pick them to cover but obviously oh yeah. winning the game yep. that's an entire I, i'll admit this right now i know i haven't released my picks i'm picking iowa to cover i don't care if, the, if it gets first of all again i'll never bet on a game but just saying for our picks if it goes down to 27 it goes down to 26 I got Iowa against the number just because of the defense. I think Iowa will hold enough. Now, if they get shut out, who knows? But I, I think they'll get some points from somewhere. How low would that number need to go for you to take Ohio State to cover? <laughs> That's, you're asking me for a score prediction now, Mark. Well, um, I mean, I'd probably say if it was down around 24, 25, and then I'm thinking 
Yeah, I'll probably take because I I don't see Iowa holding Ohio State to less than twenty four or twenty five. Um, but I also don't know how I was going to get points on the board. And I did mention this. Uh, how about this for a number? Th- this is the one way, and I, I said this on my show yesterday, the only way Iowa wins is if they take advantage of this stat. If you throw out the Toledo game, Mark, tell me what Ohio State's turnover margin is for the entire season, for the other five games combined. I was going to say something arrogant there and basically say it doesn't matter. But uh... – yeah, well, no, you well, that's fine. You can say that, but just guess what their turnover well, margin they're not is. turning people over on defense. And oh, turnover margin, thrown, though. Stroud has thrown three picks. And if they lost some fumbles, I'm going to say minus two. Minus one. Okay. So even with the Toledo game, they're plus one. And you look at how dominant they've been in all six games. That's where Iowa wins the game. I'm not saying they're going to be able to do it, yeah. but you got to get to plus three or plus four. Yeah. I think that's the only way Iowa wins this game is if you find a way to plus three or plus four. And you probably need, if you get to plus three, if you're going to do it with plus three, you probably need to take two of those back to the house. <laughs> I mean, you likely. Um, and, and even then, it certainly uh, doesn't guarantee a win. But I think if you can be plus two heading into the fourth, I said that yesterday, if you get to plus two and then give yourself a chance to get to plus three in the fourth, uh, that gives you a shot. Um, I, I just have a hard time imagining a scenario in which Iowa wins without that big of a turnover margin in their favor. It would be fascinating to know right now, if we said Iowa has two pick sixes, do they pull off the upset? I would think that's maybe a 50, 50 proposition. I don't, I don't believe that they have no chance in this game. I just think that they're, the defense is too good. The special teams are too good. In Ohio State, again, yeah, they haven't uh, – the best team that they've beaten is Notre Dame. That's not a very good football team. They're they're a top 40-ish team in the country. But it's the way they've just dominated everybody. I mean, that's – Yeah. And that's... if somebody else was doing this, we would question it, but this is a team that plays like this every year, and this is just the next season as well. And as you mentioned earlier, they've been down – offensive skill position players that, you know, arguably are their best skill position players and Smith and Jigba and, and Mayan Williams and uh, even Trevion Henderson here briefly. So, yeah, I, I mean, collectively, um, turnovers are where this game is going to be won if it has any chance of being won for Iowa. And I, I see Tim in our chat brings up the fact that Iowa's leading scorer is a freshman kicker who didn't start until game three. Let's think about that for a second, Mark. Their leading scorer is a freshman kicker who didn't even start, did nothing but kickoffs up until week three. Um, so, I mean, they, obviously we understand the issues. Um, I think I brought this up to your attention here uh, prior to um, us going live. Not only is Terry Roberts out this week, but uh, why Black is still questionable. Keegan Johnson is out again. I don't think, for the record, I'm just guessing on this, and I've had a lot of people tell me this information and all this just rumors, so I'm not going to go on the record and say, well, this is what's happening. I doubt we see Keegan Johnson again this year. I mean, just from everything that I've heard from a number of different sources, I doubt we see him again. Um, and then Deontay Vines could come back this week, Mark. He's been out with a wrist injury since early in fall camp, and he was having a nice fall camp back in early August. Um, but you expect him to make an impact week one, or, or excuse me, you know, first week back, I should say. Um, I doubt that. So, 
I mean, you got to take shots offensively. You know, that's basically, I think, the key for this offense every week because they just don't have the horses right now to to beat you inside. I mean, Iowa right now is getting beat. Even that Nevada game, I know, you know, Iowa knocked off a couple of big runs from Caleb Johnson in that game. I think the rest of their runs, they averaged like two and a half per carry against Nevada at home. That's concerning. And I know you say, well, we can't throw out the two Caleb Johnson runs. Well, I, I, I can. I, <laughs> because it, it, it tells a it tells a bigger story. Um so I don't know how much a bye week actually helps, but let's just let's just hope that they've made some strides on the interior, especially on the interior, because running the football has been an issue and I was predicated on on doing that. And if you want to be able to take shots down the field, you gotta be able to take advantage of play action, especially with an immobile quarterback. Iowa at Ohio State for the first time in nine years at the Horseshoe for the first time in a matchup period since 55-24 in 2017. Again, uh, Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway right here at the Voice of College Football and also courtesy, of course, Gene Arthur Associates. So please go to Gene Arthur Associates. We've left the link in the live chat. Facebook, Instagram, follow, like, and share, and you're automatically entered into the Iowa-Nebraska ticket giveaway. Two tickets to the... Final home game for Iowa this season. All right, let's talk Buckeyes and Hawkeyes. We've got uh, Pat Murphy on the line for Bucknuts. Pat, how you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. Uh, I'll get us started and then let uh, Corey uh, set up the matchup as well. The Buckeyes uh, take the bye week. Uh, we talked uh, here in the last few minutes about one of the main focuses of any bye week for any team is, okay, uh, let's get healthy. Let's uh, get some of those players back. Uh, Travion Henderson, we saw him leave the field against Michigan State. Mayan Williams missed the game. You know, other players on both sides of the ball. I know that you, as a member of the media, it's difficult to get uh, accurate information or any information on uh, status of the game. But, you know, where do we stand in regards to those guys that are kind of questionable uh, for Saturday? Brian Day was asked about uh, the injuries today, said they'd have a better idea later in the week. I get the sense that most of these guys that you mentioned are healthy. I mean, even you know Travion Henderson, who got hurt against Michigan State, well, really re-injured his foot against Michigan State, probably could have come back in if that game weren't already – pretty well in hand this is kind of what they've been looking at for jackson smith and jigba pretty much since he played a half of a game against toledo um, you know back in september is really after the bye week be it this game or next week against penn state i would think that they would like to get him back if they can before going to penn state uh get him out there a little bit and, and make sure everything goes well uh i you know, I, I imagine it will be as close to a full-strength Ohio State team, at least on the offensive side, that we've seen since probably the opener. Uh, you know, just, just kind of injuries here and there, but but nothing has been really that serious other than Jackson Smith and Jigba's injury. Defensively, they could potentially get Jordan Hancock back in there, who hasn't played yet this year. Cornerback who, in the preseason before he got hurt, was uh, was really kind of impressing and and in contention to start. We, like I said, we haven't seen him this year. They've been very vague on what the injury is, just that maybe it was more serious than they initially expected. He may be back. I, I'm less optimistic on him being back for this week. Um, he has been practicing, so it's, it's possible, but you know, it, would, it would surprise me more than the others, I guess I'll say. Pat, you and I talked uh, 
preseason, and I remember asking yeah. you about the 2017 game yeah. and would Ryan Day use that game as motivation? And I said to Mark before you hopped on here, I don't think it matters at this point because I did not expect – I mean, we understood there was going to be a talent differential as there is every year when these two teams play. Um, but I did not expect Iowa's defense – or excuse me, Iowa's offense to regress – uh, as much as it has, and for Ohio State's defense to uh, improve as much as it has. Um, now, maybe that's because I'm not following the beat like you are, Pat, but uh, just talk about Ohio State's defense and uh, how does Iowa attack what is uh, right now, by a lot of uh, the metrics, a top 10 defense nationally? Well, it, it certainly is, and that is what Ohio State wanted when they hired Jim Knowles and, and made some other staff changes. I will say that you know, the best offense statistically that Ohio State's played is Toledo. So, yes, it's been a good defense. I like a lot of what they're doing in terms of pre-snap movements and, and trying to dictate where the offense can go a bit more. So, schematically, I think everything they're doing makes a lot of sense. It just we haven't seen it tested with this group of players against a, a high-caliber offense. Now, this probably isn't that weak either, given uh, what we know about Iowa's offense. But – uh, you know, I think there are still so, some interesting, you know, ways to attack this defense, and especially in the run game. They play two linebackers most of the time. Wisconsin wasn't able to really get much going. Michigan State wasn't able to get anything going. But that, to me, seems to be, um, you know, still something that I'm not entirely sure is is lockdown defense for Ohio State. And then on the perimeters, I, I mentioned Jordan Hancock. Part of the reason he's been talked about so much in recent weeks is that. Ohio State's cornerbacks haven't played up to the level expected. Now, I say that, and I think they're number eight, number nine in the country in pass defense. So overall, they've defended the pass well. But you can hit some plays on these cornerbacks, and you know they're on, left on an island. So if, if you can make a play or two, all of a sudden you can be you know considerably further down the field. But just in terms of this Iowa team, uh, you know maybe the tight ends can can cause some damage. The Ohio State did a good job when they played Notre Dame uh, and Michael Mayer. Um, but I think if you can get that running game going and, you know, especially if you can control the clock, I think that could be kind of a, a recipe for success. It's what Notre Dame tried to do. It's what Wisconsin wanted to do before getting behind big early. And, you know, I think that keeps CJ Stroud and that offense off the field and just kind of works overall. Well, if you can, if you can move the ball on the ground and kind of chew up some clock. And just for the record, Iowa fans, Ohio State made wholesale changes on defense after finishing 59th in the country in defense. We understand the standard is different at Ohio State. I'm just we understand. <laughs> I don't, if anybody doesn't understand that by now, they're not paying attention. Just so you're aware, Toledo, I just looked it up. Toledo actually has like the, they have a top 25 scoring offense, and they're like yeah. 60 in the country in total offense. And as you know, Pat, Iowa 127th in scoring and 131st in total offense. So, yeah, it's not even fair to the Rockets. I know they play in the MAC, but not fair to them to even compare them remotely to Iowa's offense. Uh, Pat, I, I got to ask you this question. How does Ohio State stop the highly volatile passing attack led by Spencer Peters? Show up. <laughs> he gotta, hey, we got him to laugh, Mark. We got him to laugh. <laughs> How many touchdown passes, Corey? Two. That's that's down on average from last year, though, right? Weren't they at nine total last year? Uh, ten. They had ten, ten last year. Okay. So, yeah, you're not even getting getting no. that average. Yeah. 
before we we met with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles and, and Kevin Wilson, I was talking to one of the other reporters in, in the meeting room today, and I said, do you think there's a way to ask how seriously they're taking this offense where we could get a real answer? You know, obviously there's the coach speak, and, and there was plenty of that today yeah. about the Iowa offense. Um, and, <laughs> what was yeah. the co- Hold on. What was the coach speak? Before you go on, Pat, what was the coach speak? This just, is a real this, tough off. <laughs> well, just this, this is a team that knows – what they're doing and they play complimentary football and no, no. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 you know, I get, and, and some of that had to do with the defense and, you know, look, they, the, the offense doesn't have to score because the defense plays well. And, and that's how I was done it for, for years and things like that. But yeah, I really, I would love to hear Ryan day. Well, really Jim Knowles, I guess, talk about this, this Iowa offense, honestly. And you know, we, we hardly ever get that right. Unless you get a coach, off to the side one time and you know maybe he's had a couple drinks in him <laughs> they, they just don't get that information out um but uh yeah i we were trying to think of a way to ask that that would give like some real answer and, and we couldn't figure out a way um and you know questions were asked and they, they still gave kind of the coach speak answers yeah what are you gonna do i mean i i do think it's i, I do think the one area where uh, i maybe you weren't on when we brought this up pat but uh Ohio State hasn't needed to rely on turnovers. No, I'm guessing if you look back at their history, especially under Ryan Day, they typically don't dominate that category, I'm guessing, just because they, they don't have to. But they are, if you take out the Toledo game, they are minus one in turnovers. And you know Iowa, their reputation, under Kirk Ferentz and Phil Parker especially, is to dominate in that category. Uh, you know, they had a game last year against Maryland where I think they were plus seven. In turnovers. So, I mean, they turn teams over. Uh, there's no question about it. Now, you're going to have to get seven turnovers out of Ohio State. But C.J. Stroud has thrown some picks this year, and typically the Ohio State defense doesn't force a lot. But I, I do think that's the one way that Iowa can somehow pull out a miracle is by finding a way to be plus three or plus four. Is there any other scenario, Pat, that you can think of in which Iowa can go into Columbus in front of a, a packed stadium and find a way to go into the fourth quarter with a chance? I'm going to well, look at the weather forecast before Pat goes into that. Yeah, it's supposed to be nice in Columbus okay. on Saturday. Um, but uh, I, I do think the turnovers could be important. And both Ryan Day and, and Kevin Wilson talked about how – now, granted, this was in Iowa City, and, and that changes things a little bit. But that pick six early, maybe as the first play of first play. the game in 2017 and how that really changed things – for Ohio State, and, and obviously got Iowa going, got the crowd into it and whatnot, that's not going to be the case the Horseshoe, but if you can take the crowd out of it with a couple of turnovers in, in the first half, first quarter, I think that that certainly helps quite a bit. And, you know, I think it's probably an Iowa's advantage if we're just talking crowd that, that this is a noon game, Ohio State's first noon game this year, actually. So fans are going to have to get used to that again. Uh, but no, I think that's probably the key. If, if you're Iowa and you want to hang around this game is, you know, can you bait CJ Stroud into a mistake? Can you get one of these receivers to, to put the ball on the ground? One of the running backs, um, they've been pretty secure that way. Almost all the turnovers I think have been the CJ Stroud interceptions, which I think he's at what three this season, if I'm correct. Um, and they, but they've come in the last three games. So it, he has made some mistakes and, you know, if, if you can get them to do that, I mean, Michigan State, I think, felt when they, they got a pick six on the, the second offense or second Ohio State offensive series and 
you know, all of a sudden that sideline's jumping up and down. The fans were jumping up and down there. And, and like I said, it's on the road, but I still think that's a, a way to hang around when you're not ex- expected to. And they were pl- in 2017 for the record, they were plus four. Yeah. Um, and now they dominated the scoreboard. So if they get plus four this year, I, I would expect them to have a chance. Sure. I'm not projecting another 50, whatever it was, 54, 17, whatever it was in, in 17, but they were plus four courtesy of the pick six you brought up, Pat, and then the three interceptions from Josh Jackson. And they need somebody. I mean, I don't know who that's going to be. I mean, I, certainly they've got guys who have proven they can make terrific plays uh, in the secondary and, and Riley Moss and, and Cooper DeGene, but they need somebody to have a, a Josh Jack- Jackson-esque coming out party on Saturday. Yeah, the other thing I think will be interesting, and I, and I touched on it briefly earlier, is, is how Ohio State defends Iowa's tight ends. Um, you know, I know that's not always an easy way to, you know, it's not like you take deep shots generally to the tight end, but that was a thing in 2017. And, and Ohio State, the last few years, has had issues with talented tight ends. Like I said, they, they did fine against Michael Mayer earlier this year, and they are obviously aware it, it came up today that that's going to be a challenge. But, you know, if you can get rolling that way too, I mentioned the ground attack. If that can be kind of a, you know, you 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 start to get something going on the ground, you can do some play action to the tight ends or, or something along those lines. Maybe, you know, if we're, if we're trying to come up through, trying to come up with scenarios that Iowa's still in it in the third, fourth quarter, I think that could be a, another factor in the game. We were simulcasting on the Ohio State channel uh, for our Buckeyes uh For our Hawkeyes show on the Ohio State, we will do the same on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. We will show the Ohio State uh, live show over here on the Iowa channel. Let's get to the super chat from uh, Ryan Dawes. Uh, We'll serve this one up for you, Pat. What Buckeye has a standout breakout game this week against Iowa? G. Scott, Jesse Murko. (laughs) Ohio State's having to punt enough that Jesse Murko is – is is the star or the breakout of the game then then i was done something really really well um though i do think this iowa defense will be the biggest challenge ohio state has faced but to answer that question i mean not that it's a breakout overall game but if jackson smith and jigba is back i mean he's played 38 snaps so this could be a 2022 breakout game if, if he's actually back and healthy g scott's an interesting one he scored his first career touchdown against michigan state last uh last game two weeks ago so, you know, he's been slightly more involved. I could see Cade Stover, the, the tight end, who's played well throughout this year and has had a couple games where he's gotten three, four catches. Uh, you know, if, if Iowa is able to shut down other things, that's a way that Ohio State has found. They did it against Notre Dame. They've done it again a few other times using that tight end that, you know, just traditionally Ohio State hasn't used a ton. So, yeah, I think the tight end could be interesting on both sides of the ball. And and this, by the way, Mark, not only is this Iowa team probably the best defense that Ohio State's faced so far, it might be the best defense they face all year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, no I question it's the best defense to date. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame's really good on defense, but they're not Iowa good on defense. And so is Michigan. Is Michigan's really good on defense. No, I'm talking about to date. Right. Uh, but then, yeah, they, they could be the best defense that they face. So. Uh, yeah, I, a lot of people are taking shots, including another super chat coming up at Ohio State's schedule, which, you know, sometimes people take shots like Ohio State, you know, built the Big Ten schedule. Let's keep in mind, um, heard it a lot from Michigan fans this week, since they just beat Penn State, who's supposed to be the third best team in the conference, supposed to be, uh, and they dominated that game, and it was an impressive showing, all credit to Michigan, but that Michigan's played suddenly this great schedule, well, 
Maryland, Iowa, and Penn State are their last three opponents. Well, you can pretty much they, – they play the same schedules practically, Ohio State and Michigan. They play like eight of the nine or seven of the nine Big Ten teams the same. So they will be playing those teams. So we will get there. So it's not like Ohio State's loaded up on some awful schedule. If anything, there was one of these two programs who scheduled Notre Dame and the other scheduled UConn, Hawaii, and Colorado State. So, all right, Brian's saying pretty much along the same lines, Ohio State has played – Absolutely nobody and only one team with a winning record. Yes, this is yeah, true. According, according to ESPN's metrics, Ohio State's strength of schedule is 82nd in the country. Michigan is 73rd. So not a huge difference there. And that Penn State game obviously makes yes. a, makes up some of that. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's fair to criticize. You know, I don't know criticize is the right word, but be questionable about Ohio State if, if you're just looking at the schedule. I do think that – you know, obviously you have to play the teams on, on your schedule. Right. And so far Ohio state is, has dominated. I mean, the closest game was the Notre Dame game and that was an 11 point game. And Mark, as you and I talked about, I think last week, Notre Dame is, is starting to play better football. Obviously Saturday didn't help that resume, but um, you know, I, I think you, you have to do what's on the schedule and they've dominated every team they've played, you know, maybe with the exception of Notre Dame that first week for that first half. And again, nobody expected Wisconsin to be, yeah, as down as they are, nobody expected Michigan State to be as down as they are. I think people expected Notre Dame to be better collectively. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Big Ten West as a whole is down uh, collectively. I'm curious to get your thoughts. I know this has nothing to do with the matchup on Saturday, Pat, but how does Illinois match up? Does Illinois play Ohio State first of all? No, it would be the Big Ten championship. Okay, how do they match up? Do you think? Because I, I talked with uh, Coach Don Patterson the other day, and and he expressed that he thinks Illinois may be the one team that could, not, he's not predicting that they'd beat Ohio State, but the one team that could hang with them because they can put points on the board. And boy, Chase Brown is almost a, a carbon copy of Blake Corum. Yeah, I, I watched a good amount of that game on, on Saturday. It was the first time I'd really, I'd seen some of Illinois, but when I was able to kind of sit down and, and focus on it, impressive. I mean, especially given what we've th- thought of of Illinois the last few years, well, several years, really. Um, I think with, like you said, the, the way that they can score would certainly test Ohio state. Um, you know, if, if, if you're playing right now, I think this defense for Ohio state continues to take steps each week. So by the time these teams would in theory play in a big 10 championship game, maybe Ohio state's defense is, is playing at a level where, you know, you're just confident that, that they can stop that, stop any of the, the high scoring big 10 teams. But I think that's, you know, if you can't slow down Ohio State or keep them off the field, then, yeah, you've got to be able to keep up. And, you know, we, we saw that even last year. I mean, it, it wasn't like Ohio State's offense struggled in the two losses. It was the defense. So, yeah, I, I think it would be an interesting matchup. I don't think it was one anyone saw coming, though, right? Like, who expected Illinois to be this, this team that we're talking about for the Big Ten title game halfway through the season? Yeah, I do want to clarify something. I think Don actually said Purdue would be oh, okay. uh, his – a team that might be able to compete because of the way they score. However, um, he brought up to, uh, Illinois because of how they run the ball. And yeah. uh, Chase Brown has been, thro- you know, just riding under the radar for how long now, Mark? Uh, and that guy deserves to be in, in – no, he's going to be in all – I mean, he's going to be on the All-Big Ten, first team All-Big Ten, but uh, he should be an he- a Heisman candidate the way he's running the football week in and week out. It shows you what coaching can do. So, Brett Bielema takes over this program – and I think if you look at the 
total team composite rankings, talent rankings, Illinois is definitely near the bottom of the Big Ten. They may be the worst in the Big Ten. They're they're right there. And he comes to town. They put together a respectable year last year. They beat Penn State. They beat Minnesota. And then look at them this year. And Mark, remember they had. Uh, I remember you and I talking about this. Illinois. I was concerned about them heading into the year because I've. I have great respect for Brett Bielma, but I was a bit concerned because of some of the attrition they dealt with via the transfer portal. And they brought some guys in, but they lost a, a pretty big number. And you wonder if that's more so Brett kind of cleaning house of, um, you know, and just kind of revamping things. Because, boy, it's it's worked out uh, as well as you could expect. And they've taken advantage of a year in which Wisconsin and Iowa se- seemingly have taken big steps backwards. Well, and, I mean, look at when Northwestern's made the Big Ten championship game. I think at least once, if not twice, it's been more because other teams just didn't perform well that year than Northwestern was really this juggernaut in the Big Ten West. So sometimes that's what you got to do. And and you get to the Big Ten championship game, that can help your program, you know, take that, you know, take those next steps, I guess. You know, Corey, you brought up, it would be fascinating to know what the Ohio State defensive staff is talking about looking at the Iowa offense. I would love to know what the Iowa offensive staff is looking at and planning, looking at their own offense from week to week. And then particularly with this kind of challenge, what do we do to create offense? What, what do we do? Do we just continue to do what we do and just try to do it better in listening to Spencer Petrus after the Illinois game very much gave that vibe that we just continue to work at what we do to make it better uh, rather than trying to scheme up some trick plays or exotic calls to create points. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, it's apparent to me that, you know, you can only, I mean, Pat knows this, you can only read so much into coach speak and press conferences, but it, I mean, it's apparent week after week that Iowa, that's their philosophy. They're, they're not going to be making massive changes. They had all off season Mark to overhaul the offense and they didn't, they did nothing. I mean, I shouldn't say they did nothing, but it, nothing that appears to have been significant. Um, so I think they're going to continue doing what they do. I mean, this is just what this is who they are, Mark. And so, you know, I, I, can you win? The, I mean, that's why I say when when I said they got to be plus three or plus four in turnovers this weekend, and probably two of those have to be defensive touchdowns. So you probably got to get fourteen points out of your your defense, and then can you create? You know, can you create, uh, you know, a, a free, you know, can you get another pick in, in the red zone to where you can at least get three out of it? And then you've created like 17 points with your defense. And that at least puts you in, you know, if you if your defense can hold Ohio State to 24 heading into the fourth, then, you know, again, you feasibly have a shot. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see much different. I mean, the, the Michigan game, Mark, I, I said this to you as well. The Michigan game was the one game where I, I expected Iowa to take a shot. And when I say take a shot, do what they did against Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, and it failed. But the halfback pass, and I understand that there, you know, uh, some people don't like trick plays, and they kind of think it's gimmicky. Well, they don't have the personnel to just get up to the line of scrimmage and and beat Ohio State off the line. And every year they try to do that with the likes of Wisconsin, and basically every year they lose doing that. So uh, they can beat three quarters of, the, of their the teams in their schedule doing that. But but there's still a gap, so I don't expect any big changes this week. After watching 
Michigan do what they did against Penn State, which was impressive. The game should have never been close. They dominated from the first snap of the ball game, but Penn State had two big plays that kept them in the game, kind of freakish kind of plays uh, for the first half. For anybody out there that believes Michigan may be as good as Ohio State, which I know collectively College Football Nation doesn't believe that, but we're starting to get more and more data points that suggest otherwise. Uh, again, it's going to be intriguing because Michigan has just gone through Maryland, Iowa, Penn State, and Ohio State's going to see those three very soon. Um, so this is going to be the first comparison point and then looking at it from the Iowa side I, I know you think this was smoke and mirrors at the time Corey we talked about it Iowa being in the game against Michigan with four or five minutes left when they're down near the goal line they're down 13 they had a chance to cut it to a touchdown but I guess I'm just kind of making a bit of a stretch to try to create a scenario in which Iowa aside from just blocked punt pick six you know there can't be too much of that, you know, that's just not feasible that Iowa can stay in this game. They did against Michigan to a certain extent, depending on how you look at that game. Ohio State is better at quarterback, more experienced at quarterback than Michigan yeah. is. All right. No matter what anybody wants to say about JJ McCarthy, they're better at wide receiver despite Michigan's strength out wide. Um, they're deeper at running back despite how good. Now, I mean, I think if you just compare. Workhorses. I mean, you take Blake Corm or you take Mayan Williams or, or Trevion Henderson, but Ohio State's just got the depth that maybe even a Michigan doesn't have. I don't know anybody in the country. Is there anybody in the country that has the skill position depth that Ohio State has year after year? What other team in the country could have a guy like Quinn Ewers transfer out, tear it up at, at Texas, and yet, I mean, you don't miss a beat. I mean, or lose the best wide receiver in the country and not miss a beat. Pat, did you get a chance to see Michigan, Penn State? Yeah, yeah, I watched both both games on Saturday. Your thoughts about Michigan? Yeah, I mean, it's it was impressive. I think that you know their ability to run the ball is is obvious. Um, it's something that I think Ohio State is going to have to prove they can stop before you feel really confident about that game. Um, but I don't know what Penn State was doing defensively. Like it was almost as if you schemed for a different type of offense. Like you're sitting back in in a shell. You're they're not throwing on you, and you're allowing them to just run up the middle. And you knew that that's what Michigan wanted to do more often than not. Um, so I, I think Michigan deserves a ton of credit, and I think Michigan proved that you know if there were doubts about where they were ranked, that that that's silly. Uh, but I also just, you know, I, I don't know what Penn State's defensive plan was and why there weren't adjustments made once Michigan just started running all over them. And, and obviously Penn State is struggling offensively. You know, I, I appreciate what Sean Clifford has done and, and some of the tough plays he makes, but it's now that you've lost a game, I think it's probably time to switch the quarterback there in, in Happy Valley. Corey, anything else for Pat? Uh, no, Pat, uh, enjoy a, a relaxing day at, uh, the horseshoe. Um, and I, I, I hope that you're able to stomach, well, you, you'll be able to stomach, you get to watch Ohio state offense every day, but this ends up being a, a 42 to seven game. I'm not predicting that necessarily, but 
if it does, I hope that uh, you don't lose a, a ton of respect for Kirk Ferentz and this this staff because I think that's unfortunately possible for the no, first I was, time. I don't know if I ever said that in my life. I was there in 2017, so uh, I will not lose any respect for them. Um, let me ask you this real quick, though, Corey. Going back to what you were saying about Iowa not making changes offensively, is that a complacency issue? Is that a wh- why hasn't this this <laughs> offense tried to evolve? I mean, what in your in your mind? <laughs> oh, what a what a question, Mark. <laughs> All right, I guess I guess it's not as quick of an answer as maybe. Oh, I- well, no, it's just like you know. What Corey we could about? go on about this for hours, week and <laughs> week after week after week. I, I think it's uh, right now. It's uh, you know, I know people want to point to the last twenty three years and Iowa's inability or or lack of willingness to evolve and change. But right now, I think it's it's a, a family problem is what it is. Um, and I think pride isn't involved. Mark, you brought that up earlier. The the pride. Well, maybe you brought pride up for a good reason. There's a good pride. And there's a point. Yep. There's a good pride. And there's a bad pride. And I think Iowa has a lot of both. Um, a lot of the good pride comes from, I think, the, the defense and the coaching staff. And some of the bad pride comes from and not the players, but necessarily, but the offensive coaching staff that refuses to make changes. So that's how I would sum it up. And you have your son as the offensive coordinator, um, you know, trying to make a change would admit that you were wrong in the first place, changing at quarterback, changing, you know, your, your play caller, changing your QBs coach, um, changing anything philosophy wise. Um, and it does pain me to say that Pat, because I, you know, I've, I've got a ton of respect for Kirk Ferentz and the staff, but, you know, what else is it's just like listening to, to Kirk today, Mark. I, I, you know, I didn't talk about this, but I'm listening to Kirk and it was basically 30 minutes of just fluff, which is fine. That's kind of what the press conferences are anymore. But uh, you listen to Kirk talk about potential changes and you just feel like, oh, this is going to be the same, same story. Uh, once again, we're going to get the same, uh, same offense, um, even out of a bye week. But then you hear him talk about Luke Lachey, who was, by the way, a great player. His dad was a great player at Ohio State yeah. back in the day. And Luke was a pretty good prospect. I don't think Ohio State ever offered, but he had offers from LSU and Michigan State and Minnesota. Um, but you you can see how much Kirk cares about his players, just the way he talked about Luke Lachey and he talked about Logan Lee. I mean, he really is a tremendous person. And so it's it's just frustrating. I think a lot of fans are frustrated with the stubbornness. And, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that I think part part of it can be attributed to the power of nepotism. It really isn't an ugly thing when it's uh, when it takes hold of a of a situation like this. Kirk Ferentz coached on the same staff as Nick Saban, and I've heard both each one of them comment on the other one and the great respect they have. I assume they're still friends. Nick Saban, at some point seven eight years ago, decided, okay, college football is going a certain way. I don't yeah. personally like it. I would rather play defense and line up in a pro-style set and not be running up to the line, throwing the ball every three seconds. And that's what I would rather do. I'd rather be back in the 1990s, but that's not what's happening. So I'm updating. We're going for it. That We're changing the offense. We're going for it. I don't know if Kirk's just averse to that or he doesn't feel like he can play that kind of style at Iowa. Well, part know. of it, again, Mark, uh, this is what I would say to that. Part of it is the plan for the last 10 years has been to, or, or more has been to eventually cr- uh, create a situation in which Brian Ferentz can eventually be the head coach. That's what's been the plan. I mean, it was the, the plan to make him the OC. How, how long has that been the plan, Mark? Think about it. 
Ken O'Keefe uh, goes on to Miami to coach in the NFL for a while. They bring, bring in Greg Davis, who was clearly a stepping stone to give Brian some time to earn his way into that OC position. So my point is Nick Saban has brought in all these young offensive minds just year after year. And he doesn't, you know, certainly as far as evolution is concerned, he doesn't take everything that these guys do. I mean, he kind of picks and chooses and changes his philosophy based on what he likes. And Kirk Ferentz hasn't been able to do that. Maybe he would if, if the whole elevating Brian thing wasn't such a priority, but because that's been the fixation for the last 10 to 12 years, you, you, you kind of, you, who are you going to bring in? That's not a threat to Brian. That's the problem. Greg Davis is, was not a threat to Brian. And now, you know, Ken O'Keefe was coaching quarterbacks up until, you know, this year. And, and the logical move is to make Brian the QB's coach, even though he's not qualified to, to, to do that. So I don't know that it's necessarily a, a situation where if the situation with Brian were not in the picture, Kirk would still refuse to evolve offensively. But Brian's not an offensive mind. And I don't know that Nick Saban is some great offensive mind, Mark, but he's just constantly got guys who are around him that he, he, he learns from. I think Nick Saban, as pompous as he seems at times, is humble enough to take in new ideas, but part of it is he doesn't have a son who he's trying to uh, make the next Alabama head coach. Pat, we appreciate you being here. Everybody check out Pat's work at uh, Bucknuts 247 Sports package. You said for the game against Iowa and everything Ohio State related basketball season's coming as well. Pat, appreciate you being here. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Uh, Mark, does that does does my uh, expose there make sense? Do you agree with that? Oh, it makes total sense. Um, maybe you enlighten me. In you, you didn't present any facts that I didn't know, but when you shape it in that way, I guess I am realizing for the first time that it's been that long that he's been making this plan and trying to execute this plan and filter Brian and put him in a place. But right now to elevate Brian to the head coaching position, which is usually earned by obviously excelling at the, the current job is far the furthest thing from reality. Yeah. And again, I go, the reason I kind of extrapolate on that is you look at the fact that yes, he's had three offensive coordinators in Ken O'Keefe in Greg Davis and now Brian Ferentz. Two of those, one of which was a, a buddy of his and Ken O'Keefe, who helped Kirk Ferentz get his start in coaching, the other being his son. And then the guy in between, as I said, I think he's clear. He was kind of a stepping stone. He was at the tail end of his career. It created some time for Brian to to kind of learn. So I, I as much as I've said, well, he doesn't do a good job hiring offensive minds. Um I don't know that he's ever given himself a chance to actually go out and hire an offensive mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, maybe if Brian Ferentz, I mean, we talked about this the other day, will Brian Ferentz be the OC next year? Unless something drastic changes, I don't think he will be. And I don't think he's going to get fired, but I just think somehow, some way he will not be back. If he's back in 2023 as the OC, I'll be just absolutely shocked. Um, And so if that, but if he moves on, Mark, I, I think, I mean, the ship has sailed, and I think maybe Kirk is in denial that it's sailed. But I think once he accepts that it's sailed, and maybe that will occur 
when Brian moves on. Once he accepts that that ship has sailed, perhaps there's hope. Even at the tail end of Kirk Ferentz's tenure here as the head coach, perhaps there's hope that now we have a clean slate and perhaps Kirk sees things as they are on offense and says, okay, this is no longer a priority. What's left to make a priority? Let's make this offense good. Uh, It doesn't have to be elite like Alabama's is year in and year out. It has to be good. And so... I, 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 that's kind of, if you're wanting something to hold on to hope for or with, that would be what I'd look at. It's the potential for, for Kirk to, for this thing to get so bad, not saying you root against Iowa every week, but if it gets so bad to where there's no choice, but for Brian to move on. And I think we're to that point, but perhaps more needs to happen as it relates to the loss column. When that happens, perhaps there's some realization at at some point that, Hey, we, we need to go a different direction. And perhaps that means, someone who doesn't have a a family or friend connection to Kirk. And if that does happen, and most likely it would happen within a couple of days at the end of the season, I will be intrigued. I will be interested in all those things in your analysis of where does Iowa go? What type of resume they should be looking at when the candidates start to filter in and we start to, to serve up both of us and other media outlets serve up, uh, various candidates, you know, who that guy should be. And then once the decision's made, you know, did they get it right? That will fascinate me. I've never really been able to be part of those conversations, Mark. I've just never been able to have those conversations. Iowa, and, and stability is a great thing. I mean, look at Phil yes. Parker. The Phil Parker, Norm Parker Absolutely. thing has been brilliant. Um, There's a but, balance. Yeah, they've had the same stability, stability and stubbornness. Yes. They've had the same stability slash stubbornness on offense all these years. That doesn't make yes. any sense. Because the offense is very rarely good. Um, in fact, more more times than not, it's it's bad, not average. So, um, yeah. And now I will say this: one thing we have to remember in all this, I was never against Brian Ferentz. Okay, I would have loved to have this for this to have worked out, even though I don't believe in in nepotism. Um, you know, as it as it's constructed, all right, the principles behind it. Um, however, I would have had no problem with Brian Ferentz being the OC. Uh, if the offense could have at least been average to good. But remember, at the end of last season, Ken O'Keefe steps away. And Mark, you and I talked about this. It was an opportunity for Iowa to go out there and get somebody to help Brian. I was not advocating at the time to fire Brian, although I know a lot of fans wanted him fired. But it was an opportunity to go get somebody that could actually help Brian. Not that Ken O'Keefe doesn't have an offensive mind, but again, he's towards the tail end of his career. He is what he is. Um, somebody who could help Iowa where, where their biggest needs were. And I think specifically in the passing game, that's where the biggest need is. Although Iowa struggles to run the football. If, if you can have Brian focusing in on the run game with his expertise as a former center. Um, and I, you know, I'd be fine with him being the run game coordinator. They had an opportunity with a guy named Randy Hedberg. I brought this up on a number of occasions. Randy could have come in from North Dakota state been the QB's coach, been the passing game coordinator, and he wouldn't have had to have been labeled as a passing game coordinator, but he could have been the passing game coordinator without anybody else on the outside knowing, and Brian could have retained his position as OC. He just wouldn't have been the QB's coach. He could have kept coaching tight ends. You bring in Randy. He helps with the passing game, and it saves Brian's pride, makes his career look better. He can learn behind a veteran like Randy Hedberg, but they refused to do that, and they had every opportunity to make a move like that, even if it wasn't Randy, to go out and, and find somebody that could help with the passing game, and they chose not to. And they chose to go a route with someone who has limited 
if any knowledge of the passing game and in Brian Ferentz, except his experience with the Patriots uh, coaching tight ends. We have a number of folks here as we wrap up the show who aren't normally part of our Iowa Hawkeyes live edition here on Tuesday at 4.30 Central, 5.30 Eastern. So Buckeye fans or college football fans in general who have found us for a first time, please understand that we're here every Tuesday talking Iowa football with Corey right here on the Iowa channel. So Ohio State fans also, if you want to get prepped for the game and want to hear it from a different angle, different perspective, Get on over to Corey's channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm. I'll pull it up right now from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Check out Corey's work. If you just love college football and want to keep up with uh, the major brands in the Big Ten, then uh, head on over to Corey's channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm and uh, get a different perspective on Big Ten football and uh, this matchup in particular against uh, Ohio State and Iowa. Also, keep in mind that I've had a little issue with my main channel, so some of the work that uh, has been put out there in the last few days is no longer there, but being reposted. So that is Big Ten Power Rankings, ACC Power Rankings, and my top 25 that actually makes sense. So please be patient with me there. My apologies on some um, issues uh, behind the scenes, and those are being reposted. So I had a number of people reach out to me and wonder where, where did this go? Where did this go? Well, it was... Uh, uh, hacked and brought down. So we will re be reposting those three uh, video posts uh, here in the next few hours. And I'll just Corey? say this real quick, Mark. Yeah. That, uh, tomorrow night I've got uh, Hawkeye Hangout live call and show on my channel, 9 p.m. Central Time. Don Patterson will be coming in, uh, calling in to preview Iowa, Ohio State, since we didn't have uh, an opportunity. We had no post game this past weekend. So uh, catch Don Patterson uh, as we talk Iowa and Ohio State tomorrow night, 9 p.m. We will have the Ohio State side of the postgame uh, right here on the Ohio State channel. But also, once again, Corey and Coach Don Patterson uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm here on the Iowa channel as well, postgame Ohio State in Iowa. And again, I'll be on the record for saying that I will not be surprised if this is a three- to four-quarter game with Iowa showing pride and coming up with something on offense uh, to, to make this somewhat of a battle. I know I, we see the scores that are ridiculous in the chat, and I get it. Ohio State could win this game, much like Michigan did back in December, 42-3. to But I would also not be surprised with Iowa um, showing some grit and determination and finding some way to mount some offense and put a few points on the board to keep this thing interesting. I just, I just look forward to Ohio State dotting the I uh, pregame. That's what I look forward to. Um, all the uh, everything else is just frosting on the cake, and and what I enjoy about uh, college football in the fall, maybe than anything, Mark, is the people being able to watch with family and friends, and you know, eat crap food, even though you know you know you shouldn't. You kind of make an excuse to do that. So I'm still going to enjoy that aspect of the game on Saturday, regardless of the score. And then, of course, we'll have the post game show after. You have heard the Lee Corso story about when he coached at Indiana against Ohio State. No, you heard the story? I don't think so. And, and I don't think this applies to this matchup, but since we're going the, the, to the place of blowout scores, Lee Corso coaching Indiana, they're a zillion point underdog against Ohio State. He knows that they're going to lose by a zillion points. They run a trick play, first drive of the game. They score a touchdown. He has his entire offense line up in the back of the end zone and have somebody come out and take a picture of the scoreboard that reads Indiana seven, Ohio state, nothing. 
And the final score was like Ohio State 50, Indiana 7. <laughs> the irony of the being able to uh, – wow. Uh, that's uh, – well, I, I don't see Kirk Ferentz doing that. Uh, but no. <laughs> if no. listen, if they score a touchdown on the first drive of the game, boy, that'd be – wouldn't that be progress, Mark? Can you imagine Iowa coming out and scoring a touchdown to start the game? <laughs> Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. You know, this bye week has been sort of, even though I enjoyed some time off and kind of just taking a break a bit. Um, I've been looking forward to this game for a while and I, I just, I, I don't know why, but it's almost with the struggles offensively, almost as a fan feeling less, less pressure. Like you just don't expect anything different. Yeah. Kind of gives you some anticipation that maybe you wouldn't normally have for a yeah. game like this. Once again, We've got a, a ticket giveaway, two tickets to the Iowa-Nebraska game the last weekend of the season. Go to Gene Arthur Associates. I've left the um, the link in the chat to both Facebook and Instagram. Follow, like, and share, and you're automatically entered. Corey, appreciate you being here. We don't have a show without you, so thanks so much for doing this every Tuesday. Appreciate it, Mark.